It's February, and I don't know about you, Bev, but I love to spoil my pets on holidays, even the Hallmark holidays like Valentine's Day. And Henny and Rue is going to be the perfect way to spoil my flock. Henny and Rue's monthly subscription box includes a variety of items ranging from things to add to your first aid kit, treats for your hens and roos, and there's always something for the chicken keeper. It's a great way to express your undying love to your flock, and you get a bit of a treat for yourself as well. So go to hennyandrew.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first subscription box. I didn't know what kind of noise that would make. <laughs> what? I'm not even <laughs> sure what kind of noise that was. <laughs> what are you drinking over there today? So I opened a bottle of kombucha that I brewed myself and then Ooh. put into one of those like fancy corker bottles from Ikea to do a second fermentation to see if I could get some uh, fizziness to it. Oh. Carbonation. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> fizziness <laughs> is just more fun. <laughs> right. And so I opened it and I didn't know what it would do. And I don't know. I think it might have worked. Let's see if I get any bubbles. Yeah, got a few bubbles. It still needs a little more time. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking over there? <laughs> so I have a Black Rocks Coconut Brown, uh, which is a brown ale with coconut. Imagine that. Um <laughs> But the brewery is in Marquette, Michigan, so it says Aloha, eh, on the can. <laughs> mm. It's pretty yummy. It's a good, it's a good uh, winter slash we're having a spring kind of behavior happening outside, but still, you know, winter's coming back, so it's like got that tease of coconut tropicalness, but you know you're just going to have to go back to the heavy beers by next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That rodent didn't see its shadow. Oh, so yeah. that means that we're supposed to have spring early. But if memory is not failing me, and I don't think it is, he didn't see his shadow last year. And I felt like it was cold as hell here until May. Easily. Yeah. Last year was horrible. We've had, I'm going to knock on wood, we've had a, like a pretty mild winter. Yeah. Compared to what it usually is. <laughs> My gas bill confirms. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. From hobby farmers to large scale real deal farmers. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain. So hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those tangents along with our mistakes and whatnot and put them up on the Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go to patreon.com slash drink and farm. 
And you can support the podcast starting at just $2 a month. And speaking of the Patreon, our drink peep this episode is Ashley Kiernan, which is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Okay, so I have some follow-up for us this week. All right. What is it? I got the lab results back from the blood tests that I sent in on the goats, and everyone is clean and healthy. Yay! That's awesome. That's got to be a good feeling to confirm that. It is a good feeling. I mean, I figured that they were because I bought them from a breeder who like showed me the lab paperwork that his herd was clean. But you know, you like you never know. Sometimes things live in the soil or sometimes you can pick up something like at the feed store and bring it back home like without even realizing it. So yeah, it's a good thing to confirm. And now that I've done it once, I know what to expect and what we're supposed to do. So doing it next time will be a little less of a deal. Less tra- <laughs> less traumatic on everyone involved. <laughs> Hopefully less traumatic on everyone involved. I'm not going to lie. I was expecting a little bit of feedback on how I did it all wrong since there was like basically blood spraying everywhere. Uh, but no one said that. So I don't know if other people have had that experience or not. But thank you, everybody, for not telling me how terrible I was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so causing funny. all that blood. <laughs> it's so funny because like your experience and your telling of the experience kind of scared me. And then I was like watching Wild Oaks Farm on her stories. I think it was yesterday. Demonstrate how to do a blood draw. And she did it so fast and by herself while the goat was just like tied to the fence. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, okay, so after you've had lots of practice, this is going to be super easy. Because she, like, helps at a vet's office and does all this stuff with animals on the regular. So this is, like, easy peasy to her. But I think that was just, like, a good juxtaposition of, like, what your first team time can be like and what, like, your hundredth time can be like. Do you know, was she using vacuum tubes or did she just draw it out with a needle? She just draw, drew it out with a 22 gauge needle. Okay. I think I might do it that way because if that's the way she's doing it, that's probably a more appropriate way to do it, if that makes sense. Because like she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And she didn't shave the area or anything. Oh, she, she didn't? She just like okay. freaking went for it, found the vein and went for it. And the goat like didn't even move. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, our goats didn't move when we did it, which was kind of impressive considering, you know, we, I, we so we had Jared like holding the head up and the neck sideways so that we could reach the vein because, you know, the vein runs like parallel down the mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. Um and then I shaved because we tried to feel through the fur and we couldn't. But, you know, we also like none of us really knew what we were doing. So we were like, let's get some eyes on this because then you can actually like see the vein bulging and that makes it a little easier. And then, you know, we had to put it in, move it around a little bit, take it out, put it in, move it around a little bit, take it out. We had to do that like a couple of times sometimes to figure out like where exactly the right spot was. But they didn't seem to mind like surprisingly enough i thought that they would be super pissy about it but they stood still they were pretty good yeah good, goats uh, can uh, be pretty dramatic so. yeah they can <laughs> it's true <laughs> stab them in the neck though they act like it's no big deal <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand goats <laughs> so when is it bound chicka wow wow time for your lady goats so I think one is going to go into heat next week. Mm. One went last week while I was waiting for results. Of course. And then the other one, I have no idea. But I'm kind of thinking of holding off until March to take them in 
because I have to do some calendar calculations. I have to make sure I'm not going to be gone for Mm. coop camp. Mm -hmm. And then like the beginning of July, we're taking the whole band somewhere to do like a performance. So I have to be available for those three days to do that. So I need to look at the calendar. That's that is another tricky part about intentionally breeding your animals. No time is ever really a great time when you think about it. (laughs) No. And then when you get into fall for you guys, it doesn't get much better. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't. So I'm going to either have to make some decisions and decide to skip some things that I was originally going to do. Obviously, Coop Camp is not one of those things I'm going to skip. So Better not. (laughs) Yeah, no. So I'm going to wait and I need to sit down and do the math. Yeah, yeah. Because they could go early or maybe a little late. Yeah, exactly. You're probably going to want to be around more. Like, those first few weeks are pretty critical anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and knock on wood again. <laughs> That's all Sam's doing right now. <laughs> um, and I referred myself in the third person, so there oh, we that's go. That's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, I need to, like, put a rubber band around my wrist and just snap it. <laughs> um, we've never had anything go wrong those first couple weeks but it's not to say that it won't happen and then another thing to think about too is like do you really want to go through kidding season when it's like 90 degrees outside (laughs) I know so I am gonna do this round sort of as soon as I can just because I Mm -hmm. need it's another one of those times where I just need to get the experience and get it done and over with Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna make it happen and then Depending on how long I'm supposed to wait, I might breed one more, one of them again, like in the fall, so that I can start getting onto that rotation. Because I think this time of year is when I would rather have kids. But at this point, I'm not going to put it off until, you know, August or September. Right. So. Right. And I think as long as, like, with how you're supposed to wait in between kiddings... Is that where you're thinking? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think most people suggest like a year. Oh, okay. But I know with uh, Maya and Diana, we had an oops round. So really, they were only like, it was like less than a year when they kitted again. Um, But I think some people like to give their does a rest. So that'd be interesting. If you're listening and you have goat experience, what do you feel like is an appropriate time to wait in between kidding and re-kidding um if that's the terms like i'm curious to hear what our listeners think based on their experience yeah i am too because another idea that i've had um because i do i I, oddly enough so i had another farm offer to do the stead service for me and they were gonna let me go pick up the buck and actually keep it here but then i realized i'm not gonna know when they go you know right. what I mean like unless you'll I'm know like a time frame <laughs> yeah and I want to know the date because I'm a planner and I have lots of kids and stuff to do <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh so uh, so for now I'm holding off on that but then I also realized too like I can't keep any bucklings from this group because the buckling will be related you know to almost mm. all of the does because two of them are sisters and like so it just it's not going to work if I'm only going to keep my herd. So I'm thinking of picking up a, like another set of dolings or something this spring cuz then I can wait and I can I can breed them, you know, late fall or something like that cuz if I get one that's born around this time of year, I'll be good like November, December-ish. Usually you wait about a year, but that wouldn't be too big of a deal. I mean, I have plenty of male goats if you want some. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. If I need any pets, I know where to go. <laughs> 
So today is a very exciting day because we are going to round out the Rotten Series Season 2. And the last episode is called High on Edibles. Yay! Yay. I'm so excited that we're rounding this out. I'm glad that we followed through on it. But I don't know. I feel like we had so many things, you know, like to talk about. Like when we first started the rotten thing, we weren't really sure exactly where we were going or what we were doing. So we're like, hey, let's do this and throw it in the mix. And I don't know. I'm glad that this round is kind of over. I think if they do another one, though, we'll still do it just because some of the stuff is really interesting. But Mm -hmm. I need a documentary break. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, I hope they do come out with another season. Um, Maybe we'll just be a little pickier about what ones we go over this time. I think this one's interesting, um, but I wish they would have talked a little bit more about more of like the farming aspects. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which probably isn't like totally kosher because as you'll hear us go through this, there's some like back and forth about like the legal side, the illegal side, the THC products, and then the CBD products. So it's kind of all over the place. Um, so maybe they just had to really scope it in, in order to actually put something together that would only be an hour long. That's my guess. And also remember, it's still illegal to grow in a lot of places. So they couldn't necessarily like give us instructions on how to grow it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. But if you're really (laughs) curious, you can probably just Google it. Not that we're, you know, telling people to do anything illegal. (laughs) <laughs> I know, no. Um, it's a leg- it, it is legal in some states to grow for personal use. And like Michigan. You have to look up your own. Yeah, you have to look up your own laws. And I do want to start this talk by saying I feel woefully unprepared to talk about this subject because I personally have multiple friends that work in this industry. Oh. So if any of them listen to this, I apologize. I probably should have just asked you all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are coming at it from the perspective of what Rotten gave. So we can throw out that disclaimer that Bev and I do not have experience growing any of this. We're only going off of what the documentary told us, which, as we know, all documentaries have some level of bias. So there's our disclaimer for this episode. <laughs> yes. But I did enjoy the way that this episode started because it was very similar to the chocolate one and that we got to see all of these beautiful, fancy chocolates and desserts. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm really hungry. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, wait, this is all edible marijuana. Did I have the marijuana? Why am I so hungry all of a sudden? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was really cool, too, that they were showing all that and that they even had options for vegans and for people that prefer gluten-free products. So they are catering to a lot of different people. Um, But they do point out in the introduction that people enjoy edibles because they don't have to deal with the smoke that's associated with smoking pot. Um, And it's a little more delicious that way. Uh, and they say yesterday's drug dealer is today's chef. Um, and there's quite an ambitious uh, new industry racing into uncharted ter- territory. 
evolving faster than regulations can keep up. And that is definitely highlighted a lot through this documentary. Yeah, it is. And something else that they highlight a lot is that edibles do have a dark side because everybody who has used edibles at some point has a story of when taking them has gone wrong. And we'll explain why that is in just a short bit. There has also been an uptick of children ending up in the ER because they've found edibles and consumed them. And you can see why that's the case. In the beginning, they show pictures of these beautiful chocolates and gummy bears. And those are things that kids associate with being a treat. So that's not overly surprising. And the only drug that we know of that's being approved by popular vote instead of going through the rigmarole that the FDA usually goes through to approve a new drug. And this one guy came on and said, it's the big green rush. Of course, it's going to be a mess. And everything lit on fire. Everything. (laughs) And then intro music. So we got our normal bit of fear mongering at the beginning of the episode. Uh, But that explosion was pretty intense. Yeah, when everything lit on fire, I was like, wait, hold on. I wasn't (laughs) expecting everything to literally explode. (laughs) But it did. Welcome to Rotten. Yes. So they claim that people aren't scared of edibles because they're familiar looking and can be appealing to everyone, even soccer moms, grandmas, you know, all the people who stereotypically are against anything cool and fun. Uh, (laughs) So they see edibles and think they look delicious. Uh, So people that have never smoked cannabis feel comfortable trying them. And edibles come in just about every food you can imagine. If it's edible, it can be made into a dosed edible. And in 2017, about 6% of American adults reported eating a marijuana edible. Edible? (laughs) Edible. I swear I didn't have an edible. Um, By 2020, legal sales projected are projected to exceed $4 billion. So edibles will bring mainstream America into the cannabis fold, which is a pretty big statement. Yeah, it is. But the industry thinks that smoking is on its way out, and they're not really sure what's on its way in. And science is still trying to understand the basic chemistry of weed. A lot of research is currently being done to figure out how to make edibles and beverages a lot more accessible and simple for consumers to understand. One of the things they talk about is that the labels can be really hard to understand and read if you're not familiar with the product. They want it to be like when you read the back of a beer label and you know what the ABV of the beverage is, you know basically what your dosage is when you take the product and that's not how it is currently. And in the U.S., legal pot is so new that the science hasn't caught up. And that's true even in the one place where edible cannabis has been sold for decades. So we go to Amsterdam, Netherlands, which for more than 40 years was the only safe destination for tourists to go smoke weed. And one out of four visitors still visit a particular so-called coffee shop, which is one of the shops that showed all of the fancy, fancy treats at the beginning of the episode. So they started making edibles when smoking became less popular. And the goal was to make the tastiest and most beautiful edibles 
ever. Besides the fact that they've made they're they're made with flour and sugar, they say it's the healthiest way to consume cannabis. But the thing about edible marijuana is that switching from smoking marijuana to eating it feels different, and some people don't know that. So it takes about one and a half hours for the effects to start, and you may just kind of start off feeling a little cold. Uh, One of the women describes that her eyes get really red and there's no way she can prevent that. Your heart rate increases, eyesight moves slower, and suddenly you start having that laughing fit that people associate with marijuana use. And the buzzed feeling feels more intense and lasts longer when you're eating it than it does when you're smoking. Like in some cases, it lasts at least a few hours. Whereas when you smoke it, it usually goes much faster than that. And so knowing how much and when to consume is really hard to figure out. Right. And it turns out that some of what's happening in the Netherlands isn't actually totally legal. Uh, In the 1970s, the Dutch government legalized the selling of marijuana in coffee shops, but didn't legalize commercial production. They thought individuals would grow and sell marijuana in coffee shops, but now since it's so popular, um, the only way to keep up is a commercial size growing, you know, setup. So it's considered an enormous criminal industry. Um, the production and importing is controlled by organized crime, which is nice, uh, which means the coffee shops can't actually tell you where they get the weed from. So there's absolutely no transparency in what exactly you're consuming and where it came from. And the legal murkiness spills over into the creation of edibles. The most common edible is called a space cake. Um, and it's legally required that this be like the base of every edible, Um, and it's really primitive. So basically you chop up pot leaves and put them in the batter and this keeps the potency low, but also makes it unpredictable and you have to be able to see weed in the cake and it's not good to eat. Um, and it's, but it's the basis of all the edibles in Amsterdam. So they point out that if you want your edibles to taste better, you should be using extract instead of the whole chopped product. Um, But because of how things are regulated or the lack of regulation there, uh, you're kind of at the mercy of the chef for potency and they can't test the THC levels in their edibles. Yeah, which is something they would be able to do if they used extracts instead of whole chopped product. But 90 miles north of Amsterdam, testing is happening and that's in Holland. And there's this dude, his name is Rhinus, and he's breaking all the laws in his Dutch laboratory. Yeah, he is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he doesn't seem to give an F about it. (laughs) He calls himself a longtime member of the cannabis community, and he's actually a former coffee shop owner. And he wants his cannabis to be as consistent as beer. And I love the name that they had for the coffee shop owners. They were called bud tenders Uh, (laughs) instead of a bartender. (laughs) (laughs) And he says that if they switched to allowing extracts, that would allow for reliable dosing. But that's illegal. 
And here is how the extract is made. And this is the part that I thought was the most fascinating. And I actually got to have a conversation with someone that works in the hemp industry a few days ago. And I was asking about this because one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast before is how they're turning a lot of old tobacco farmland into hemp fields. But um, there's been a bottleneck in the processing side. So you can grow hemp legally now in the United States, but there's not a lot of processors. And so somebody had mentioned, oh, well, you guys should just become hemp processors. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. So here's how the cannabis extract is made. And I think it's pretty similar for CBD or, or hemp. Cannabis is chopped and mixed with a chemical solvent. And in this instance, they use ethanol alcohol. That probably explains the fire in the beginning of the uh-huh. episode. <laughs> it soaks into the plant material and strips out the organic compounds. And these are known as the cannabinoids. And then the plant material is filtered out and the ethanol is boiled away. It bubbles violently and then ta-da! you have the cannabis extract and it's loaded with delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol yeah i said that right yeah you did yeah and that's basically (laughs) thc that's the part of cannabis that gets you high yeah man so then they jump into smoking cannabis versus edible cannabis and how it affects your body differently and it all has to do with your liver So smoking cannabis means that it goes right to your lungs, into your bloodstream, into your brain, and essentially it's completely unmetabolized. If you eat it, it goes to the stomach, then the bloodstream, then the liver gets a hold of it and changes the delta 9 THC into 11 hydroxy THC. So it basically sounds like your liver is a wizard and it's there to get you like high as a kite. (laughs) Your liver is a wizard. That's awesome. Yeah. And 11-hydroxy-THC crosses the blood-brain barrier even faster and seems to have more of a dramatic impact, which means a more intense experience with a longer duration. And this guy, Rhinus's customers, they need a reliable dose of their THC because they're medical patients. And at his location, you can only get information to understand how to get the product sent to your home. So there's no product there where he's working at. They put them at a secret location so they don't get busted by the police. Makes sense. Yes. And in the last 20 years, researchers have identified more than 100 unique cannabinoids. Caretakers are quick to point out the power to ease pain, aid sleep, restore appetite, and more. And very, they do say that very pure THC can be used for pain relief and can help with cancer symptoms. And they talked about two different other cannabinoids. Um, One is CBN, which is a cannabinol that is a weaker... psychoactive agent Um, and they say that in high concentrations it can really help insomnia patients and then there is CBL which is a cannabis cycle (laughs) cannabike Um, (laughs) (laughs) cannabicycle (laughs) yeah Uh, and it's a little understood cannabinoid whose effect uh, is scientifically unclear So there's very little science done on the subject, but Rhinus doesn't call it medicine. 
exactly, uh, but he does encourage people to try it. And medical professionals are resistant, at least in this documentary, to medical cannabis due to the lack of research. So Rhinus's goal is to normalize medical cannabis and for it to be fully legal because, you know, it can help people. There'd be a lot of taxpayer money associated with it and it could help stop crime. Yeah. So then we move on to America where the big green rush is happening. And this is where we learn um, that regulators may have skipped a few steps due to the rush. Which, I mean, I guess, you know, none of us are really all that surprised about that. No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, we did talk about how it's the only drug that instead of going through like regular pharmaceutical FDA approval, it's being approved by popular vote. I mean, we wouldn't approve Viagra that way. I mean, I don't know. There might be some desperate dudes that would. (laughs) No pun intended. Would. (laughs) <laughs> would <laughs> I just got that now I'm over here <laughs> laughing like a 12 year old you're welcome so Oregon legalized medical weed in 1998 and it was legalized for commercial availability in 2014 for the recreational use the future of the weed business really depends on consumers getting the dosing right And there's this company that they highlight. They're called Lori plus Mary Jane. And their company's goal is to educate users to go low and get high or something like that. Basically, they don't want you to start off with a big ass dose. They want you to start small and work your way up so that you don't have those negative effects that they talk about earlier in the documentary where you take too much and don't realize it and then have a really bad horrible no good day basically (laughs) yeah (laughs) which to me that kind of you know as somebody that isn't a drug user I feel like that makes sense that you just wouldn't want to go balls to the walls but I can also understand if it gets in the hands of the youth and like how alcohol can get into the hands of youth and they don't know how to manage it and they think they can drink a ton and be fine this probably wouldn't be much different So I tried to remember that, like some people might just not realize how much is appropriate, period. Yeah. Well, and when you think about it, too, like it's a good thing alcohol doesn't take an hour and a half to get into effect because like (laughs) we'd have to drink our beers an hour before we planned on recording, right? In order for this to be a thing. It just wouldn't (laughs) even be that great if we didn't have somewhat of a buzz. (laughs) Right? So like imagine, and if you don't know that it takes that long, you do. You eat the brownie or whatever, the gummy bear, the sweetest fish or whatever version it is that you got it in. And you sit there for 30 minutes and you're like, wait, I ate this because I wanted to party and I wanted to get high. And then you eat more. And by the time it metabolizes in another hour, you're like out of it, like Mm -hmm. way more out of it than you intended to be. And that's got to be kind of a horrible feeling. Yeah, I can imagine Uh, So Lori and Mary Jane make all kinds of crazy things at their shop. They make cookies, they make crackers, they have health bars. And they started this business five years ago when there really weren't any regulations. And they pointed out that a normal dose for a non-user of edibles is like 10 to 30 milligrams. But the products that were initially available could have as much as a thousand milligrams in them. And when people aren't taking in to consideration the delayed effect um 
you're not like actually dying, but people basically wanted to die. Um, when they, you know, that's, that's a lot. That is, um, not great. And, you know, Lori and Mary, which Lori is the real person's name. Mary is the real person's name too. I just want to point that out. It's not like Lori and weed with the whole Mary yeah. thing. It was just a happy coincidence. Um, but they're trying to, you know, put useful regulation in place with the Liquor Control Commission in Oregon. Um, but laws are basically like changing every three months now. Um, but they do have new good laws in place, like how to mark the serving size for an edible and like other kind of labeling things that uh, could really help a newbie out and not make them freak out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there has been no record that edibles are the cause of any deaths. But there have been two cases in which edibles were believed to be a contributing factor, and they were two suicide-related deaths. And that whole thing about the dosing and not being patient and not knowing that it takes a long time, like, I could see how that could be what the cause of that was. Yeah, and unfortunately, when it's not regulated, you don't know if it's just weed or not. They could, there could be other things being put in there. If you're not in a great mental state, I can't imagine it's a really wise decision to get high either. Uh, so it's kind of like the perfect storm. If it's not regulated, it's not marked. You don't know what exactly is in there. Like bad shit's just gonna happen. Yeah. With anything. And according to a study in Colorado, one milligram of THC is five times more potent as an edible than one milligram is when you smoke it. So. I thought that was a really interesting stat because I, that was the first time I've heard that. Um, but they did say that that does not take in a, into account the consumption history of the user or the amount of food in their digestive tract uh, because those things can also impact it. But consistency is important <laughs> with yeah. this labeling, regardless of how much food you've eaten that day. Um. <laughs> Only eat if you've had half an avocado. <laughs> I actually have a CBD product that recommends that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really funny. <laughs> and medical marijuana is only legal in 33 of the 50 states and recreational weed use is legal in 10 states and there is no federal oversight because according to the federal government it's all illegal yes so this is what happens when you have you know state government and federal government like this weird shit can happen but that's okay um you just got to kind of feel it out. And unfortunately, with this whole green rush, uh, it was not felt out appropriately, which sounds kind of weird. Um, but <laughs> they gave the example of Green Leaf Lab, which is the first licensed and accredited lab to test cannabis products in Oregon. Um, and they test for potency and consistency. So um, they are there to kind of help regulate a little bit better and help kind of put like a seal of approval on some of these products that yep you're you're taking a product that can be trusted versus something that hasn't been tested 
because consumers are so used to the FDA protecting them when it comes to food. So they're probably totally unaware of the ways in which the private testing system um, could or could not create more confusion, especially since, you know, the cannabis companies are paying for the testing. So the labs want to keep their cannabis companies happy. So the lab could, you know, inflate what the potency is because the customer will pay more for the products with the higher potency. Um, But then it's hard for the user to gauge, like, what the potency is and how it makes them feel if it's kind of a lie. So that was kind of dark. Well, it go it harkens back to some of those conversations that we've had about different types of scientific testing and why it matters who paid for the test. Yes. Because you want to claim like science whenever there's a science <laughs> test that comes out. But data does have the ability to be manipulated and it can be collected in ways that are a little janky and is not clear to somebody that's not within the industry that that data is janky. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) No, that totally makes sense. Yes, they're in their pocket. Yeah. According to the Oregon Poison Center, the number of cases of children ingesting edibles by accident jumped 30% from 2017 to 2018. Uh, That is not a stat that can be easily ignored. (laughs) This can obviously be serious because the drug is distributed over the volume of your body and a kid is really small, so they're getting a huge dose. And kids will come into the ER confused, they'll have depressed respiration, which isn't a typical side effect of like a high dose in an adult. Um, So because they're having breathing issues, they have to be admitted to the ICU, which yikes. Yeah, and it's a pretty polarizing topic because, like, people who aren't in support of legalizing marijuana will point out the 200, 300, or 400 percent increase in the number of kids either showing up in the ER or having poison control have to be called because they've consumed them. And the people who are for legalization will argue that you're removing the stigma and allowing these kids to get help and not have to have as many consequences when accidents like that happen, because that's essentially what they are. They're horrible accidents. I don't think anyone ever intentionally puts their kids in harm's way, unless they have like some other issues. There are, unfortunately, cases where that is the case. But a lot of these sound like they're just honest mistakes. Yeah, but apparently Oregon law requires the hospital to notify CPS when, you know, a kid comes in for accidentally eating an edible um and oregon is now adding regulation that edibles cannot be in shapes that resemble candies familiar to children so no cartoons or images of minors um but this doesn't stop kids who are actively looking to get high i mean think about kids eating tide pods those don't look like candy (laughs) they don't kids are gonna do stupid shit (laughs) if they want to do stupid shit yeah, and kids are going to find things to get high off of if they want to. Like, does anybody remember Whippets? <laughs> I didn't hear about those till I was an adult. I was such a good sheltered kid. Oh, my gosh. You really were. <laughs> but they're dumb. People people suffocated because of using oh them. God. And it's just like a normal, like, kitchen tool that you use for, like, frothing, fr- frosting. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm just, I've been so much of a terrified rule follower most of my life that I like that it came to my benefit 
with stuff like this because I was just way too scared. <laughs> but I remember like some kids like drinking uh, Listerine because it has alcohol Ooh. in it. Yeah, yeah, which just seems gross. Like, and it seems like that would burn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> and you know, as as it becomes more available, teens obviously will be able to get their hands on it just a little easier, and it can really impact brain development if it's used early and often because you can't encode new information when you're high. So going to school high basically robs you of your learning experience. Yeah, and you're totally unaware that you're you have an inability to absorb and learn new things. So you think you got it, but you really didn't. And <laughs> I mean, that's I've been just there. like really sad. I mean, I've been sober <laughs> and felt that way. Yeah, me too. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> so patients seem confused or convinced that this is healthier medicine than what they can get in a pill bottle. But when you get messages like from that you do from like Lori and Mary, like Lori is totally amazed at how much medical marijuana or just recreational weed can actually benefit people and how many benefits can come from a plant. And it was really funny because she just like opened up this big ass bag of weed and she smelled it and she's like, mm, smells like citrus and diesel. <laughs> and I was like, what? That sounds horrible. Ew, that does. That sounds gross. <laughs> But she's had, Lori's had a seizure disorder for like 20 years. And she tells us the story of how she met a Dr. Phil, not like actual Dr. Phil, but a Dr. Phil in a car dealership. And he told her medicine was poison. And he gave her a phone number to a guy to hook her up with edibles. And she thought they were okay. But then like within 15 weeks of taking them, she had no indication that she had the seizure seizure disorder anymore. And then she gradually went off her medication, aka poison, with her doctor's help. So I I don't know what kind of, like, how desperate you have to be. Like, I'm blessed to not have any kind of serious medical condition, but to take advice from some Dr. Phil in a car dealership is a little sketchy to me personally. So once Dr. Cush on Venice Beach tried to stop me and tell me <laughs> that he could prescribe something for me to take care of all of my ailments, and I was just like what you're joking right this doesn't actually work on people does it because like you're clearly not a doctor just because you're wearing a lab coat you're not does not make you a doctor no <laughs> but I that a is a true story I, I was i'm not a doctor <laughs> dr kush really did try to give me a medical marijuana card at venice oh beach <laughs> and so i I was I was really torn about this part because like I her story is important because it's more of that like anecdotal evidence that they yeah. use for legalizing marijuana and I don't think that that anecdotal evidence should not be taken into account but I don't like how she described regular pharmaceuticals as poison because regardless of how you feel about it there are millions of people around the world who would not be here without mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals. So they're also a very important piece to our health system, regardless of how broken you feel like it is. Like there are people who cannot survive without 
their EpiPens and their insulin. And there's a lot of really important mental health drugs. So by like including that part where she called it poison, I felt like that kind of added to like the stigma of taking a daily medication. And that just totally rubbed me the wrong way. (laughs) Right. But there's also stigma to using marijuana to help when drugs aren't as effective. That's true. Stigma for everyone. They they do point out, you know, that there is no scientific evidence. They have that anecdotal evidence. We'll put in, like, air quotes. Um, but, you know, you need the federal laws to change in order to get the data to prove that cannabis is safe. But you can't get the data until the federal laws are repealed. So it's like a catch-22 because there's no real re- research on how it works, which type works for what. But they do end up telling us that there is one place allowed to do research. There's only one institution approved by the federal government to cultivate cultivate marijuana for research, and that is the Marijuana Project at the University of Mississippi. And this project is led by El Sali. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong because I can't remember how to say it. But he's been running this project for like 40 years, and he's seen like, imagine like 40 years and seeing like where weed was 40 years ago and where it is now. Uh, so he's gotten all that experience, but he's also been like in the weeds, semi-pun intended, <laughs> like, you know, researching uh, how marijuana works and also researching CBD because CBD has no psychoactive effect. But now because of the farm bill in 2018, uh, farming hemp is legal. So CBD has just exploded everywhere. Yeah, it's legal as long as it's extracted from hemp. And we have talked about the difference between hemp and marijuana before on the podcast. Hemp is a variant of the cannabis plant, and it doesn't contain any THC, which is the part that gets you high. So CBD is now like a huge health and wellness trend, um, but we actually know very little about it. Uh, There are claims out there that it can help with anxiety, depression, acne, heart disease, and even help with symptoms and pain associated with cancer. Um, Basically, if you're taking it, you're kind of like part of an experiment. And it's not really clear who is in the control group and who's not, because there's no way to track symptoms with dosage. Yeah, there's not. (laughs) Nope. Um, And there have been studies with CBD that have been done with social anxiety. And a lot of the existing science shows that the effective dose for CBD is somewhere between 300 and 600 milligrams. Um, And those kind of doses are not found in the CBD market today. Uh, Doses that you tend to see with products are between 10 and 20 milligrams. And they contain low levels of CBD and some like shady products like show no CBD at all. Um, And sometimes they can contain not so great things. So consumers are buying more than a billion dollars of CBD product every year already. And they're projecting that that could reach 20 billion in the next few years. And some labels say, hey, there's no THC in this CBD, but there is actually like enough THC in the product to get somebody high. So you really need to know your source if you're if you're part of that experiment. <laughs> well, and it's really unfortunate that they didn't mention this in the documentary, but I know for a fact that there is a hemp certifying authority out there. It's the hemp 
I think it's just called the hemp authority. So if you Google that, they have like a stamp that they put on CBD products that they have tested and approved to have the limits that the bottle claims they have in them. And this is like volunteer testing. It's not required. But there's a couple of places out of Colorado and some of the other states that are choosing to do this testing. But again, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the hemp authority is associated with the people processing the hemp. But Probably I don't know. Not. It's it's one more thing to to just it's one more step in the process that could give you a little more peace of mind. And then we meet Kevin, which is not his real name. It's a dude that doesn't want his name shared. He was a Navy vet and he trusts pot edible to treat his own symptoms and he tells a story where like he was on medications he was in and out of the va they kept like saying try this try that with different medications and he tried them but there were a lot of side effects and he still had a lot of pain uh, so kevin went skiing in colorado colorado and bought a pack of edibles um and he said he found his cure and he had no more pain So we started making a lot of trips to Colorado from Mississippi, where he currently lives. Um, And he was caught the third time, and he had to pay over $7,000 for a lawyer. So clearly that wasn't an option for him anymore. So he figured out how to make his own. He says that he's like perfected it to the point now that they're just as effective as what he used to buy. But he's like totes paranoid that the cops are going to get him. And that's not probably just the THC. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that'll make you super paranoid. But (laughs) I don't I couldn't imagine living my life that way. That would be very nerve wracking to me. But some people can do it. But that's one of those. It's a it's a sad story of an instance of a person who is helped anecdotally by this but he can't get a hold of it in his home state of mississippi and he says he loves mississippi so that's why he doesn't just move to a place where it is legal so that's tough and what's really interesting that the documentary told us about was that even though oregon has legalized marijuana illegal pot is still an issue in the state which you would think like you know they legalize it now all of the criminal activity is going to go away um but there isn't uh, or at least that hasn't been the case yet because the enforcement of marijuana laws costs the state and federal governments about eight billion dollars a year there because 80 percent of the weed that's grown in oregon is illegally exported a lot of it to the east coast because there's more money in it when you sell it in a place where it's illegal than there is when you sell in a state where it's already legal and it's usually in the form of the extracts which are uh they're the cartridges that you put into the vape pens that's what they were mostly pointing out and when you export into another state illegally it's a felony and you can spend tons of time in jail so i don't know i don't know why anyone would want to take that risk clearly we're not risk takers we've said that a couple of times And they point out that there's no guarantee in these illegally exported extracts that all of the chemicals like butane and propane that they use to extract the THC out of the weed is processed out. So not only can those things exist in those cartridges, but pesticides and other things that they may use to grow the plants could be found in them, which wouldn't be good for your health or your lungs. And obviously, you know, those aren't 
lab tested products because they're illegal. And those illegal labs also have the tendency to blow up, kind of like all of the fire that we saw in the beginning of the yeah. documentary. So there you go. <laughs> there you legit see a dude's face like on fire. Yeah, it was scary. It was very scary. So as they kind of round out the documentary here, they talk that through the legal cannabis business in state that it ranges between seven and ten billion dollars a year. Um, and in, it's hard to estimate the illicit market, but they throw around the number of fifty billion dollars a year for illegal activity with weed. So that's quite a big difference. Hopefully. <laughs> That'll kind of level out a little bit. Um, But they round things out by showing us this really fancy, like the fanciest extract technology that this company has. um, And they're called Lunchbox Alchemy. Um, And they're one of Oregon's largest producers. And they do things the right way. They have like the top technology. It's very sanitary. And this like production guy, the owner, he's like, inspired by apple and nike and they're ready to like ramp up to industrial scale like if you're gonna buy an edible you probably want to buy it from these people they take it very seriously yeah Um, they say that like the mom and pop operations won't be able to keep up um and as marijuana becomes legalized across all the states and even potentially federally legalized those shops won't be able to absorb the cost and you have to have a lot of capital in the business because you'll have things like go wrong like any other business, like your packaging, um, just random expenses you're not anticipating. Um, so it was like, if you're not big, you're, you're probably going to lose out. Um, so that was a little depressing. But at the same time, <laughs> it was kind of encouraging to see some companies taking it very seriously and, and wanting to do it the right way. Well, and I think that there are a lot of mom and pop places that want to do it the right way, too. But some of the equipment was like, I mean, it was it was industrial level equipment. Uh, If you don't have a lot of capital behind you, you just can't put those sorts of things into practice. But yeah, I felt like his speech about how you had to be a big guy or go home was a little dream killing. <laughs> well, it's it's just like farming, right? It's, there might be some farmers that want to switch over to organic, but they just can't do it. They can't afford yeah. it. It's really no different. Um, it was dream killing, but it's probably realistic, unfortunately. But he said, like, the goal is obviously full federal legalization, Um, but this could really shift the marketing place rapidly again. And they pointed out like bigger food companies may end up getting into the business if it's legally, um, if it's legal at a federal level, like think about it, all the chocolate companies, like getting in on that. You know, so I was trying to decide if I thought they really would get into it because when you think about it, companies also have like values built in with their brand name so i don't know that a lot of those bigger food companies would be willing to give that up to get into marijuana with how polarizing it still is if that makes any sense but companies like philip morris you know like the cigarette company or alcohol companies i could totally see them jumping on board because they're already in like what you would call a sin industry like quote unquote sin industry so they don't so they don't have any like moral capital that they have to worry about, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, or they would like have to bury it in a way. Like think of larger companies. Like I'm, I watched the Super Bowl last night, so I'm thinking of like the P and G commercial, where they had like a blend of all their companies in one big commercial, which was like, side note, super smart way to do that. So you don't have to have a bunch of individual commercials. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it made me think of like how sometimes you don't even realize that a smaller company within a bigger company is in that bigger company. Yeah, you're right. So I could see maybe some of that happening. Yep. They get told to get buried in all the levels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Yeah. What a journey. (laughs) It was another one of those long ones with a lot of information, but... It was one that at the end of it, I was glad to feel like I had learned something. Yeah. It was an interesting trip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm done. Yeah. But there was like nothing was nothing outraged me in it. Like there's no there's no like behavior to change here. I don't know. Other than just, you know, making criminals stop acting like criminals which i mean if we could make them all do that then we would have by now right (laughs) i would think so (laughs) i'm ready for some we can't even corner this week yeah i am too and i've got a good one for you this week i need to hear it okay so you know how that coronavirus has been going around Mm -hmm. you know from china and whatnot Well, there was an article in the Washington Post that came out, and it was weird remedies surrounding the coronavirus. And one of those weird remedies was the urine and dung of cows can be used for treating coronavirus infections, according to Swami Chakrapani Maharaj, president of the Hindu Masahaba and Indian political party. (laughs) Is that because they, like, really appreciate the cow I don't know. There was no explanation for why he said this, but he did say that it had to be accompanied by a special yagna, which is a Hindu ritual performed in front of a fire, and that could kill the novel coronavirus and end its effects on the world. But what I can't even about it, and this is why I pulled this article, is I pulled this article from barstoolsports.com, was there was no, like explanation inside the Washington Post article that said, hey, yeah, don't cover yourself in cow poop and pee because that's not really going to kill the coronavirus. <laughs> They're like, the vaccine's going to take probably like a year to become wild, widely available. So in the meantime, hook yourself up with some cow dung. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, my God. So have they tried this on someone? Is this why they can say this? I don't think so. I think people oh are just God. kind of making stuff up at this point. <laughs> and the the author of this particular article was especially funny because he says, since last week, I've been consumed with finding a cure for the coronavirus. I've spent hours and hours on Pinterest looking for the perfect blend of essential oils and Korean fermented <laughs> veggies that could stop a worldwide outbreak from spreading. I've read about drinking bleach, warm, salty water, and various types of teas. I've looked into herbs like the Erica nut or the Battelle nut. And those are usually used to get rid of hookworms, tapeworms, and other intestinal parasites. But he's found limited success on the coronavirus, which has very much frustrated him. But he had not thought of cow urine and cow dung (laughs) until he came across this Washington Post article. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, don't cover yourself in cow feces. I mean, it would be nice if that could be another use for them, but just don't do it. I feel like you're going to, like, get E. coli or something. 
weird shit like that if you try to do that. But I'm not a doctor. Yeah, so I'm not I don't either. know. I don't <laughs> think the person that suggested that is either. But you know, <laughs> probably not. Well, you know, everybody wants to sound like they've got a solution to the problem, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I just feel like the advice of wash your hands with soap and water is going to be good enough for now. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> the best you can do. Yeah. So what's your can't even this week? So mine is from an article that I found on clickondetroit.com. And the title reads, Women, Woman Finds Her Dog Missing for Three Years on a Beer Can. Oh, what? So I, I've seen some articles lately about some breweries putting dogs on their cans, like missing dogs. And I was like, oh, that's such a cute idea. So this isn't like a newer, I think it's, well, actually I do think it's a newer idea, but I think there are a couple of breweries that are doing this, but a Minnesota woman noticed something on one of the cans and it was her dog who had been missing since 2017. And her name is Monica Mathis. She was living in Iowa at the time and she hadn't seen her dog Hazel for three years. Uh, She was on a leash outside and I went to get her and she was gone from our yard. And while scrolling on social media, Mathis noticed a photo from the brewery, which was being shared all over Facebook. And she said, oh, my gosh, that looks like my dog. I think that's my dog. I have no idea how she got to Florida. (laughs) So she sent everything she could find, like all the pictures that she had of Hazel. um, So she could stop the adoption process from happening because she couldn't stand the idea of losing her all over again. And the shelter confirmed the dog was indeed Hazel. Oh, my gosh. And Mathis said, I was amazed. I was crying. An emotional wreck. And Hazel and Monica will be reunited soon. Oh. But holy crap. Like, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so we live in, like, this world where you can travel so fast and so far. So when you lose an animal, you're usually like looking locally, but it turns out you should really just be looking all over the country. That dog went on like a homeward bound adventure. Yeah. I would love to to hear how that dog got in Florida. He was like, (laughs) screw Iowa. I'm going to Florida. And And now there's beaches there. (laughs) And now he's not going to be in Florida anymore. (laughs) Beaches, get it? Beaches. Ah! <laughs> oh boy! Leave us a review if you haven't done it already. Make sure you do it on Apple Podcast because we read one a week and then we put all of them in a drawing at the end of the month and draw a name out of a sometimes like not literal hat. <laughs> um, but we pick one randomly and that person is a winner of an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in our shop so make sure you leave us a review and make sure we have a way to find you whether it's your instagram handle or something like that but we do have a january winner and our january winner is weber hollow homestead so we will find you and reach out to you If you find us first, though, that's fine, too. Uh, (laughs) So we can get your address and send you your mug. Yes. And this week's review is from CA Conservative 7. And the title of it is You Two Make Me Laugh. And they say, while doing farm chores, Bev and Sam can get me laughing or even just smiling. I've learned a lot about different farm animals and don't feel alone when I'm by myself. I only have sheep and chickens. 
but no, doing my best is good enough while I learn to do better. Please don't stop. And I really loved that review. (laughs) Me too. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yes. Yes, we do. So we just have a couple of housekeeping and announcements. Coop Camp 2020 has been announced and is just outside Indianapolis, Indiana, June 5th through 7th. We'll be there. You should join us. And there's a link in the show notes to get all the info. And make sure you hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen. This helps more people like you find us. And another way that you can help us make that happen is by sharing this episode in your Instagram stories. And when you do that and tag Drink and Farm, we will send you a promo code just for that episode that will give you a percentage off in our merch shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles that we discussed, a survey to tell us how we're doing, and all of our social media goodness and merch shops that we like just discussed. Yes. (laughs) So thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this trip that we took today with the last episode of Rotten. Yes. And next week, we get to talk about something totally random that you're not going to be expecting. And I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. (laughs) So until next time, drink, farm, and and give give zero clucks. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm.